Hello, my friends. Welcome to We Are Miracosta. This is a show all about connection, community, and hearing each other's stories. I am so thrilled that we're on episode three, and we're, this is we're about to talk to one of my favorite people on campus. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. Zulema Diaz is our guest this week, and Zulema and I, we turn it up to 11. I think we're both extroverts, and we love to, to share our experiences. We love to talk to one another, and this was just a really, really fun conversation together. So I hope you enjoy. Listen in, and uh, let me know what you think. Welcome, welcome, friends, to We Are Miracosta, and I'm here with one of my absolute favorite people at Miracosta, uh, my colleague in letters, Zulema Diaz. And I'm going to, before before I even let Zulema jump in, I want to tell you just why I wanted to bring her on. Um, Zulema's become a very dear friend of mine. And it's weird because right now we're recording this and I'm just telling her this, but... Um, <laughs> Don't make me cry during your remember, I remember when we, for the first time we worked together, we were rewriting the English 100 core. And I was like new at this. And I was still, what I look at it as like, I was still unlearning how to be, how what grad school taught me and the academic world taught me. And that academic world there is, well, I would say now knowing more a white supremacist place there's a lot of competition and individualism and this like this rush to be the best and always win the argument is the kind of mentality that I got a lot of and I remember this was the project with Zulema was like the first time that I worked on an extended project with a colleague as a full-time faculty member and I came in I think I came in like one like yeah I'm gonna do the thing and Zulema taught me a lot about why it's important for me to learn to let go and trust my colleagues because I saw a person who's like so great at what she does while I'm over here being like, ah, my idea, my idea. And I think at first all of us were kind of like jumping around and then eventually we like just settled right into trusting one another and recognizing that it's important to have those other voices in there. And it really, it shaped me as a, as a professor here working with colleagues. And I, I, so I have to talk to Zulema in this series because uh, she's someone who's meant a lot to me in in the my, my short time here so far. So, without long preamble, welcome Zulema. Erin, <laughs> that was so sweet of you. Thank you so much for saying those kind words. And likewise, I feel the same way about you. It's always been a pleasure working with you, collaborating with you. You inspire me. You bring in that energy that is just so uplifting. So I really appreciate that. Uh, you're always someone that is very supportive of anything that comes to mind, actually. You're so approachable. So, you know, um, to your students, you know, know that you are in good hands. You have a professor that has an open heart and is always willing to listen, to hear uh, you to support you and guide you, which is so for important. And, you know, speaking of, of guidance, I feel like that's the reason why I'm here. You know, I know you want, I don't know if you want to yeah. ask the first question. Yeah. But tell, tell us how you got here. Why are you here? Yeah, that's great. Well, it's because of, you know, my guides as a, as a first generation um, student, um, I feel like it's two things and I, I can't divorce my, my spiritual life with academia because I think that they're interwoven um, because my journey, 
I would describe it as a very windy road, you know, kind of like a serpent. Mm -hmm. That was my journey. It wasn't that linear journey, like straight from high school to college. It wasn't that way. And as someone who grew up in, oh, I'm going to give away my age. Uh, I grew up <laughs> in the 90s, right? In the 90s, that's when I was in high school. We didn't have the internet or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know that they had started, I think Yahoo or AOL or yeah. whatever, AOL, right? But it was um, for the, the elite back then. You had to have a fancy computer. There was no way we had one of those then. Yeah, yeah I didn't have one in the, <laughs> in the high school that I went to. I'm from the South Bay, San Diego, born and raised here. I'm very proud uh, to be a San Diegan. Go Padres. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get that in there. But I, I feel that, you know, since I have a very like strong uh, Catholic upbringing, I also feel like I'm here because of the grace of God as well, um, because my parents are, are Mexican immigrants. Um, you know, they speak very, very limited English. Um, never went to college. So therefore, you know, I, I didn't know, like I didn't know that I had to go to college or anything like that. But when I was a junior in high school, um, I got a pink slip from the counselor's office and it was during, I think it was first period and all, you know, like any other high school or yes, I get to get out of class. I don't know what I'm being called in for, but I'm out of here. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went in and I didn't know what it was about. So I walk in with my pink slip and then somebody there, one of the counselors said, oh, somebody's here to, to see you. And I was like, who? And then I look and they pointed to a desk and there was a, um, a young, a young guy, you know, a guy and he, I'll never forget what he looks like, but I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but he had his hair shaved from right here. And, but he had long hair, kind of like a mushroom haircut. And he had his glasses, baggy jeans, of course, and his Timberlands, white t-shirt, and he introduced himself to me, but all I remember was that he was from Mecha, from San Diego State mm. University, and he was there to recruit me. I, and he asked me, have you considered going to SDSU? Have you considered going to college after high school? And I was like, no, I didn't. No, not really. And, you know, I was a junior, you know, and he was like, but you're a junior now. You need to start preparing you need to start thinking and I didn't even know because obviously my parents didn't know so again you know I feel like here's this like little angel that planted that seed in me that perhaps I should consider going to college and he said that you know I said yes I'm interested in learning more information about San Diego State of course you know you know thank you so he came again and to make a long story short, he came with a thick packet. And, you know, again, we didn't spill out anything online back then. So he had the financial aid paperwork. He helped me. He helped me fill out everything. And then um, he put a bunch of sticky notes on the application for my parents. He was like, this is where your parents signed. This is where your parents have to put this information. You know, and I was like, oh my goodness, okay, okay, you know, and again, I was like so thankful for Mecha um, for doing that outreach, 
um, especially doing the outreach in these schools in the South Bay, where there's a lot of, you know, Latino, Latina, Mexican students that are first generation and, you know, that have immigrant parents, working class parents, and they don't have, you know, parents that can guide them in the home. So I really appreciated that from Mecha. So props to, to Mecha, to all the Mechistas. And I did end up going to SDSU. Uh, I did end up transferring. And to make a long story short, um, I ended up pregnant my first, uh, my first year there. So to me, it felt like it was the end of the world. Like I had um, failed my parents. It was more about my parents, you know, it was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I failed them. My mom had take out a loan. Back then it was like $5,000 for the whole year, you know, but back then it was a lot of money, you know, yeah. this was 95, okay? 1995. 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, I blew it. Oh man. So um, I, I dropped out of college. I dropped out of college, did the whole marriage thing. And um, I had two kids from that marriage. That marriage didn't work out. Um, but I was like working at Ross as a cashier. And I was just really unhappy. And I still had that in me, like I failed and I need to go back, you know. Yeah. Um, and even though it, it took me like a couple of years because I had to wait until my kids were old enough to like go to preschool and kinder. And, you know, and get obviously daycare services because that's expensive. And one day I said, okay, now it, it's time. I'm, I'm done working on the weekends. I'm done living paycheck to paycheck. I want a better job so that I can support my kids and things like that. So I ended up going back to school, but I started off at San Diego City College. So I am a community, a former community college student. Um, and it was the best thing. It was the best thing. I went in there not knowing what to expect. And I took an English placement test. Back then we had to take math and English placements tests. And um, to my surprise, I was able to test into honors English. I was Ooh, like, wow, you what is, <laughs> you know, what is this? I didn't know. Um, but anyhow, I, I definitely applied to the honors program. And that's how I met my wonderful uh, mentor, friend, and colleague, Maria Figueroa. She was a professor at San Diego City College and was also uh, an honors program coordinator. And, yeah. and that's how our, cro our paths crossed. And I remember there was just another thing, like I got all my classes and everything, but I needed daycare. I needed daycare. So I went to the child development center for my youngest one. My oldest one was already in kinder. Um, child development center was already up to capacity. But guess what? Thanks to, you know, Chicano led organizations, I was referred to the Chicano Federation here in San Diego. By that time, they were located on uh, in National City. And I went in and I said, I need help. I've coming back to college, I got my classes, I had to obviously present my, you know, my documentation that I had been accepted, I'm in the honors program taking 12 units, and guess what, they helped me with daycare, and That's I'm awesome. very grateful, I'm very grateful for Mecha and the Chicano Federation, so it's like, I feel like I'm here because of like an entire community, a network of folks, yeah, yeah, that made it happen for me, and yes, I had a wonderful time at San Diego City College. 
And then I was getting ready. Again, this is something that happened outside of the classroom. I went to the career transfer center because as part of the honors program, we had to talk to counselors, get our ed plan um, and talk and go to the career transfer center to make sure that we were up to date with all the information. So I walked in there and I was scheduled to meet a woman by the name of Yoli Wu Huginston, a Chicana who's half Mexican and half Chinese from Calexico. And she was the representative from UCSD. She was doing outreach at City College back then. And I never thought of the possibility of transferring to UCSD because I thought, well, I'm going to like make amends with my past and I'm going back to San Diego State. Yeah, that's what I thought. That was the original plan. But that narrative arc, you know, that we're going to live. Yeah. Yeah. So then one of my honors professors, um, Dr. Steve Buscaran said, you know what, you should consider going to UCSD. I think he saw my, my, my performance in the classroom and my grades. He goes, you should reconsider. Like not, don't limit your options with just SDSU. You should think about UCSD. I found out about this woman, Yoli Wu Huginston. I went to go see her and it just, she, she helped me with everything. Um, I, like I mentioned previously, I had this past. I didn't do well my first year. Uh, at San Diego State University. So I had a bunch of F's and D's and she helped me petition for a late withdrawal. So again, these were people that were there to recruit and help students like me who did not know how to navigate the system. And they, I, and I learned, I learned. So um, my GPA was fantastic at City College, but it was the GPA at SDSU that was killing me, even though it was from years ago. So she helped me petition for a late withdrawal, and I turned everything into W's. And obviously, my personal statement, I had to write a really good personal statement explaining the gap, right, mm -hmm. between SDSU and City College and UCSD, like why I wanted to go to UCSD, what had happened. And I made it. I made it to UCSD again because of these wonderful people that were put in my path. And I don't think it was a coincidence. I also, I, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person as well. Yeah. I feel like maybe it was also God's plan protecting me and guiding me and putting these wonderful people. Yeah. Um, I love and, that. Yeah. And here I am, you know, now teaching, you know, I went through city transferred to UCSD ended up in the graduate program as well. Um, and, and here I am, but I do want to mention something, um, that I ended up in the, you know, in the humanities and lit in majoring in literature, because I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it because, um, back in the nineties, when I was in high school and even junior high, um, I never heard of, um, Latina, Latino authors never heard of African-American authors. That was, my, that was my schooling. And even though I was close to the US-Mexico border, I had never heard of Sandra Cisneros. I have never heard of Toni Morrison. So naturally, when I took these courses for the first time at the community college, I just fell in love. Wow. I just fell in love with literature. I was like, oh my gosh, there's more than Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know. Right. There's more than Shakespeare. There's more than where the red fern grows. Right. There's more <laughs> than the Canterbury Tales. 
right? <laughs> Where the red fern grows. That book was, my mom bought that book for me when I was a little kid and I loved it. A country boy growing up in the Midwest. And that was a good one. But like, that's the point. That's the book that is out, that is out there in a hyper visible way. Other books are not. Yeah. Yeah. It was, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the book. Oh yeah. No, I, I'm with book. you. I feel you. I know what you, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. You know, cause there's a little mystery in there too, but I was like, Oh, wow. There are other authors and there's authors uh, that share the same experience as me, you know? Um, so, so yeah, that, you know, that also led me on this path. And for the first time in college, I actually started taking classes with more professors of color. You would have thought that growing up again in the South Bay, you know, there would be more diversity amongst teachers, but no, there wasn't that many at all, that all, you know, and I actually, I'm surprised that, um, that I did good in math, you know, and I actually had to take math because it was a requirement, but um, I know I was talking to you about this earlier before we started our interview that I was really fixated on being a forensic detective, a forensic scientist. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was like curious about pursuing a degree in STEM and I never did just because I felt like I didn't have the intellectual capacity to do so. I didn't do it also because I didn't see that representation yeah. in the classroom, right? Yeah. Every chemistry biology teacher that I had, actually I had to take chemistry classes in high school, like my, my and again, no mean to disrespect, but they were all white. All my teachers were mm -hmm. white. So I thought, okay, so maybe someone that looks like me isn't in this field, you know? Yeah. I know it sounds very naive, you know? No. For me that's, to a, I, that's what, that's you interpreting the world you were given, right? Like you're, yeah. you're interpreting that system correctly, you know? That's what people have shown you to be true. Um, that's what I was thinking when you said that about why English, like you, you just like came alive in these English courses in a way when you were reading these books by authors with your experience and then your other classes while you're doing well, it's just not that same level of person, you know, that personal connection that brought you into those spaces wasn't there. Yeah, yeah I felt validated. Yeah. I, I felt validated. I felt seen. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I can connect with Sandra Cisneros in the house on Mango Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, or Woman Hollering Creek, you know. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I that's how I got here. Uh, and I so in that in that journey, in that moment, like was there a time when you felt just like, maybe it was a book or something you read. Was there a time when you just felt like just so excited about education or that light bulb moment? Cause like I have yeah. those moments and I recognize when, when it's all of a sudden it's yours. Now you are, mm -hmm. you own it and are in charge of it in a way that it was always been given to me in the past, you know? And I'm wondering if you can kind of talk about a time when you have that experience. Yeah. I've, I felt that way within us. There, there's, I have two, uh, two things I want to say. One, I felt that way uh, in my Chicana, Chicano literature course that I took with Maria Figueroa when I was at City College. Um, we read uh, Sandra Cisneros, I think it was Woman Hollering Creek. And then we read this historical novel. It's called historical fiction, historical novel. Mm -hmm. I, I can't recall, um, but um, it was called The Brick People. 
Um, I think the author's name is Alejandro Morales, if I'm not mistaken, but it's like the whole, it's like fiction, but not really fiction, right? Because there's all like this very important historical events that are captured in the novel, but it talks about how Mexican immigrants were um, producing bricks and they were working at the Simmons Brickyard. And then I remember her just talking to us about the different genres. And then there was like a component on testimonial literature as well. And for, for that unit, I just remember doing this written assignment. And the written assignment really impacted me. It, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember crying in front of the classroom when I had to present on this project. And it was... Um, it was an assignment where I had to interview an elder. Mm. It, could have, it could be an elder in my family or an elder in my community. And naturally I interviewed my grandmother, uh, my maternal grandmother, my abuelita. She was the one that I was closest to because she lived in Tijuana and, you know, living in, you know, San Diego, South Bay, you know, going to Tijuana mm -hmm. is like back then was going to 7-Eleven. We didn't have to wait four hours to get back. Yeah. But anyhow, I, I just felt like it was such an impactful assignment because I was learning about the, you know, the testimonial literature and the personal narrative. But at the same time, I was learning about history and how history was also weaved into my grandma's story about her upbringing in Guanajuato, Mexico. You know, so I had to interview my grandmother, but at the same time, the task was to do some research and figure out what was going on during that particular time period. And it was just a wonderful way to weave my family history, to learn about my grandmother, to learn about Mexico and immigration, uh, all intertwined. And it was the first time where I really had to like sit down and record all of my grandmother's answers, you know, because she just had so much knowledge of what life was like before technology. Be you know, it was just like, to me, it was mind boggling to, to like hear from her um, things that she did just to, you know, you know, as pastimes, you know, like for instance, I'll never forget, she was telling me like, how did, uh, she would tell me like, how did we collect water? You know, she didn't have, she didn't have running water where she lived. She lived in a shack with, in a, you know, and there was a dirt floor. And she said that everybody had to go to the local stream with, I don't know how to say it in English, but it's a cantaro. It looks like a huge vase, but mm -hmm, she had mm -hmm. to carry it over her um, shoulder. And that's how they would collect water for everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, me being that modern person, I was like, what do you mean you didn't have a faucet with, you know, sink, yeah. you know, the sink and like rinsing my rice out for like 20 minutes, you know, I'm like, oh, this is a waste of water. Right. You know, <laughs> now I I'm was just like, oh my gosh. And she said that for her, you know, what was fun about that was to be able to like, um, she said that they would, all the, all the, you know, all the girls would test the the what should you say like they would test like how sturdy this vase was by letting it drop in the river and if it would bounce back up like yeah it didn't break you know it's sturdy <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh but she told me that one time the vase broke on her and she got in trouble but anyhow it was a wonderful experience I you know I love I love that written assignment 
I love that written assignment because they also made me value, even appreciate more the elders in our family and the knowledge that they have. You know, my grandma passed on, but I, I will never forget that experience where I felt like my grandmother was also helping me with my project that I had to do for school. It was a moment for me to talk to my grandma about why I had to do this assignment, what were we learning in the class. So, you know, anytime where, I, you know, again, anytime where I can make my students talk about any sort of any topic or material that we use in the classroom with their family, to me, it's a big plus. Yeah. It's, it's a, a it's, plus. it's like that can, we, we have so many names for it probably, right? Like contextualized learning, or, I mean, really, it's just about getting, not, not drawing a line between the classroom and your life at home. And so when you were talking about this and how math and science didn't necessarily have that same kind of connection for you with that, that, that representation, but also just like the connection to your life in some ways, and you weren't seeing it in the class. I was talking with um, Sean Feruzian, one of our math professors, and I'll let him tell a better version of this, but he was talking <laughs> about how he teaches contextualized math in a way where he's like, you can't, we can't start the conversation about math about this basic equation we're going to talk about without understanding the origins of how this, this, this happened. So in every chance he gets, he brings it back into how this was like in parts of Africa and parts of the Middle East, this was, this is the origins and the roots of where it's from. And we don't talk about it for this reason. And we don't talk about it for this reason, but he's bringing that into the STEM, the STEM field. And I mean, we know lots of faculty here doing that now, but it is something I think that like, that's, that's a lot, that's game changing. Like, had you seen that in, in your science classes, right? That forensic oh, yeah. science dream is different. Yeah, use math to exp or you know use math to explain how you know the pyramid of the sun and the moon were constructed, right? Or the uh, Chichen Itza pyramid over there in the Yucatan uh, Peninsula. I was like, that would have been a great approach, right? Yeah. You know, because I I visited these sites uh, as an adult, as mm -hmm. an adult, and I was like, wow, these people were massive engineers, astronomers, and all that stuff, you know, so again, that was a wonderful experience where my grandmother was actually helping me with a homework assignment, yeah. and then being able to talk to my classmates about my project, because we all had to write, but we, there was also a presentation component, right, mm -hmm. and then the second part was for my English honors class, I'll never forget that, um, I was able to weave, yes, my, you know, the research component of the project, along with my interest in dance and performance. Uh, we had to do a research. We had to, I don't, I can't recall like the exact like writing prompt. I mean, again, we're talking about something that happened like almost 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, um, but I do remember that we had, we, you know, we were divided up into groups and it's always fun when you can like collaborate with others. That was so much fun. This is from my honors English class. I'll never forget. And I got to connect with students outside of the class. And that was really fun. And actually one of those students is still my friend now. She became an architect uh, and we're still good. You know, we still keep in contact. We're good friends. But we did a presentation on the religious traditions in Brazil so it was like religion and also culture. So we all had our, our component. We did like a whole skit. I remember we 
came up with this idea that we're not gonna we're not just going to present our project, but rather we're gonna pretend we're news we're news reporters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we all like pretended we were news reporters talking about, hey, like this is what's going on in Brazil right now. And then by the end of it, we all like, and of course there's the dance, you know, the dance component that I really mm -hmm. liked. And I actually put together the choreography. So we learned that in Brazil, they dance samba. So I remember I did the choreography. I got my, you know, my other classmates to join in. I'm like, let's just do it. Some of them were shy, but they got over the shyness. It's going to be fun. So yeah, so there was that component. By the end of it, we closed our presentation with a dance number. That's amazing. And it's <laughs> that same, it's the same kind of, I mean, they're related, but the same idea of like, tapping into a wide range of skills and knowledges, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the most effective things we do is when we can, we, we aren't looking through a narrow lens at something. We're broadening out and bringing in all these resources that you have at your disposal. I like dance. I, I mean, that's, that's a really yeah. cool story. Yeah. So they were like, I was like, instead of like talking about Samba and this, this dance tradition, why don't we just do it? Why don't we just show it, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> hear it, feel it. Yeah, you get, you get it, your senses it. activated. Yeah. Yeah. So again, remember, this is when there wasn't PowerPoint. There wasn't Google Slides, right? So Transparencies. We really, yeah. So we had to get creative with our presentations. So, so yeah, those are the two memorable moments for me. Well, we're looking, so we're looking at these things that have been really effective in, in your experience and, and successful in your experiences, but, you know, so many of us here have that other side where we, mm -hmm. we like, those are those, those moments that we felt connected and felt empowered and felt like, in, and we had agency. And I want to know if you have any experiences on the other end of that, where you felt like a class, either uh, at the education experience, you were either like discouraged by a, by a faculty member, a, a, pro, a project, a program, something that just kind of made you feel like you didn't fit into this place. There's two things. Um, there's two things that stand out to me. And this is when I transferred to UCSD. Oh, that was in like in 2004 or something. Um, and right away, I knew that I was stepping into a different terrain um, because City College was very is small and more diverse. Mm -hmm. And then I step into UCSD, I transferred and it was total culture shock for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like it was my safe community, mm -hmm. right? I was like, oh my goodness, now I have to start again, but also... You know, there's there back then I didn't see that many, you know, Latino, Latina, Chicano, Chicana students, mm -hmm. you know, so that even contributed to, I don't know, I, 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 I just felt scared. I yeah. think that's probably, yeah, yeah, I felt scared. I felt intimidated. And um, luckily, since I was a literature major, I got to take courses with um, a diverse group of faculty and the mm. literature courses were phenomenal. But this is also, I was at UCSD during the time where there was, where there always has been, but I think it was 2006 around there, there was that, you know, HR 4437 that sends Brenner the whole anti 
immigrant sentiment. I felt like it was really like, um, it was a really big thing. Like the anti-immigrant sentiment was, was it, it, it was on the, it was just in the news. Like it was everywhere. Like it, because of this bill, um, there was just a lot of like things happening even at the local and national level um, because, you know, obviously that bill was to criminalize immigrants. It was like a new form of like a mm-hmm. Jim Crow law. I don't know. I'm, I mean, it, it's it was, like it was bad. Post 9-11, like um, what is it? Homeland security boom where we're, we're talking yeah, about the like, borders. And, you know, this whole, like, yeah. War on terrorism became this war against immigrants, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I remember even that part of the bill, it said that any employer who hired undocumented, I'm saying undocumented because I don't like using the other word, but mm-hmm. you know, undocumented immigrants that even they would have to be penalized you know yeah. it was like is this like the fugitive slave act you know that we're seeing here i mean a little bit yeah that's yeah. like yeah. yeah and then there was you know and again as someone who you know was grew up close to the border living in the south bay you know we had to do with deal with the minutemen project right mm-hmm. i don't know if you heard of that i've heard of yeah yeah. yeah. So these like vigilante groups, you know, that say, well, we're going to, de- you know, defend the nation's border mm-hmm. and we're going to, you know, go around with our arms and we have a right as citizens. It was just bad. So then now that sparked um, a lot of protests on campus. Mm-hmm. And there was the folks that were uh, that were against the bill. But then I remembered, oh, I'm in a different terrain and there was a lot of people a lot of people that were anti-immigrant that were for the bill and I remember walking through uh the library walk um in front of Geisel library and there was just signs all over the place that were hurtful very Mm -hmm. hurtful and I was just like I don't belong here I'm sorry getting emotional I don't belong here it's horrible um and that's like the time where I felt like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, my parents are not criminals, mm-hmm. you know, they're good people, you know, I deserve to be here, you know, why, why do people hate immigrants? Like, that was like the first time where I really saw people that hated people like my parents, like, I didn't know because I lived in a bubble, like living in the South Bay, it was my comfort zone. Because mm-hmm. we know it as like Chula Juana, a lot of people from Tijuana come over here and they live here or they, you know, they just cross the border all the time. But like leaving that safe space, it just made me realize, oh, there are people that are anti-immigrant. Oh, racism. Oh, yeah. Racism exists. I, you know, because I was in, in my bubble. So I, there was a lot of that. And it was really hard to like go to class like after going through library walk and seeing all those signs all the things horrible things written um in chalk on the library walk it was hurtful yeah it was hurtful and then there was another thing like you know i understand the freedom of speech um but because freedom of uh because that freedom of speech students uh had the right to um, it was it was published and distribute this newspaper. Again, I, I I was in a time where like the internet didn't you know con, you know wasn't the center of our lives. Yeah. 
So they would distribute this newspaper called the Koala. And it was very racist. Yeah. It was horrible. It was horrible. I remember, you know, somebody handed it to me while walking through library walk and, um, and it had uh, images of Haitian people. This is after the earthquake in Haiti. And it had images of Haitian people like cartoonish, um, like getting ready to eat dogs. And it was horrible. It, it was just horrible. And then one section said, um, why you should date a Latina. And then I was like, why you should date a Latina? And then I started reading it and there was like, uh, just a bunch of racial stereotypes. They're, yeah. you know, they're spicy, very sexualized. They're spicy, yeah. um, you know, basically easy to, you know, yeah. have a one night, one night stand, whatever with them. Like it was bad. Yeah. And I was like, this freedom of speech stuff is very hurtful. Like, I don't understand. Again, I was so young and naive. Like, I don't understand this freedom of speech stuff. This stuff is actually meant Harmful. to push people out of the of the campus community. At 100%. And I, I feel just the contrast between those moments that made you feel belonging, excitement, and connection were welcoming in all of the stuff outside of the class and then we you have the total opposite environment and so many times I think we fall into this mindset of like okay like this bad stuff's happening but like school is school this is our class and we have to we have to like make sure that our students are doing the thing but we can't just as we are talking about good teaching bringing in the lives of students the lives of students are coming in whether we want it to or not that stuff that is that stuff that is that you're experiencing is affecting you in your math class that you're walking to right after the library walk, right? And so I think like that's a powerful thing that we can engage for good or engage for bad, right? And like I I think you're not the first person, even on the very short amount of time in this podcast, that has had an experience like that when they went to they made that jump to the UC, same, same experience. Um, Je Jessica talked about that as well. And mm -hmm. just that it's a place that did not feel like in her, her language was she felt her most powerful in high school and then felt her most vulnerable. I think was what she said in transferring to UCSD. Mm -hmm. um, and it's that, so with in that moment or shortly thereafter, what kept you going? What got you through that? It got me, first of all, my children. Um, like I said, I, I, I decided to return to school because I wanted to, um, I needed to get a better job. I wanted to do something else. Like I knew that I wasn't meant, I loved, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. It was fun working as a cashier at Ross. I was a bank teller for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I needed, I needed to do something. I needed to get a career. I needed yeah. to get a career. So, so that's, that was my main motivator. I was like, okay, I, I need to do this. I need to do this for them. And then at, back by that time, I was already a single parent. Yeah. I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I go, I feel uncomfortable, but I have to work through this. I have to work through this, but also the classes that I, that I took were phenomenal. And actually the students that took those classes even though they were white or Asian, black, you know, from different ethnic backgrounds, like 
I felt like the students that were in that classroom with me, we kind of had like the same values. Mm-hmm. And I and I felt that support in our discussions. I was like, okay, so I don't have to be afraid, you know, to express myself in this classroom because I'm hearing other students' comments, right? And even the white students that I would observe, I was like, okay, they're not like the ones that I just saw on Library Walk. They're 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 di- yeah. they're different, you know. Yeah. And again, I don't mean to say that I was generalizing, but just remember, like. <laughs> You know, my, you know, my worldview is like, I'm trying to understand the students, right, on mm-hmm. campus, and I'm trying to understand their dynamic, their energy, their, their intentions, right? Yeah. So the literature courses, and then also I remember uh, one of my professors, my professor Max Barra was actually out there with um, what I call the megaphone. Mm-hmm. And he was like, the on the other side of the end and he was like all talking about for immigrant rights for the rights of the workers on our campus that work in the you know the janitorial sector the food sector so I was like oh okay I see my professor he's there he's on it you know he's there you know and also one of you know my lower division classes was taught by a TA her name I hope she's still around. Her name was Jessica, Jessica Lopez. And they, the, they were a group of graduate students that started the Committee for World Democracy on campus. And then each Friday, they would show like really cool documentaries and they would bring in guest speakers. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I joined, I, you know, and it was late Friday evening. So it, it worked out. I was like, okay, so there's that, but then there's also this other component, right? Mm-hmm. So the resistance, you know, I, I, I connected with the resistance and yeah. Groundworks Bookstore at UCSD was the alternative to the general bookstore. And that's where they, you know, they had all these like books about um, the Zapatistas and Marxism and feminism and queer theory and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. So I started to slowly find my niche mm-hmm. and, and that's how I, that's how I survived. Yeah. I mean, and what an example when we think about, so what I'm trying to do, I guess, is connect what we, we as faculty members have gone through into how we teach and how we bring out that stuff into our classes. And what a fantastic example of like the need to find your place, the need to yeah. see representation in your curriculum, the need to see contextualized and high impact practices where you're like being reached out to and asked about and having those like having those strong voices on campus who can be kind oh, yeah. of like your guiding light almost like I'll go, I'll, I'm okay because that person is there how either either I know them and I can ask them a question or I see them doing something that tells me that it's okay to be here. Yes. Um, yes. And like, that's a tremendous amount of power that I'm going to talk to, especially for my fellow white faculty members. Like that's an amount, that is power that you wield if you choose, even if you do not know you are choosing to wield it, you're wielding it and you are doing something. So how, what are you doing? I think is the question, right? Like what right. message are you sending? Cause you're sending a message, even if you're choosing, even if you don't know you are. Um, yeah. 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 So so quickly I started to, to see the allies, right? Yeah. And I, one other last thing I want to say about that experience is that um, 
I don't, I, I can't believe, like, I, I cry, like, when just thinking about it, you know, because maybe that it still left, like, a wound there, but Groundworks Bookstore had amazing posters of the Zapatistas, and just seeing the art, it, it made me feel like uh, there was, like, a sense of my community there at UCSD, like, mm -hmm. there was something familiar there. And for me, that's why art is just so powerful because seeing all those posters and seeing posters of empowered women, wonderful women leaders from different ethnic backgrounds there, I just felt like, yeah, you know, I, I feel safe here. And then eventually the mural went up too. Like they had a mural done at UCSD and I felt, oh, they're okay. I feel better, you know, there's some sort of representation, even in, in, in the, in the mural, right. Mm -hmm. It just made me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. It, it made me that feel being, I mean, I, I like to think about it in class context of like, what is, so even if you have an online class, we have a, a, a room, right? The room that a student walks into, whether they, they like mentally walk into our canvas class, like yeah. what are they seeing on the walls of our room? Um, yeah. What stuff, when they look around our online spaces, even like, what are yeah. they, what is it? Is it like this cold, bland environment that they get in many other contexts? Or is it a place that recognizes, I know who you are? I might not yeah. know you yet. Or I don't know you individually yet, but I, I want to. And here's a way, here's a way you can see yourself. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the vibrant colors, they, they're just like uplifting for me, you know, yeah. because it, it's something that I'm used to, right? Mm -hmm. Every time I would go to Tijuana to visit my grandmother, like all the little houses, <laughs> you know, in that neighborhood, they're all like vibrant colors. So it, I, again, I think art is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Art is it, so powerful. It makes us feel a, a, a kinship almost with that place. Yeah. And that's interesting for me because in my background, I mean, rural, Midwest, working class, like art, there's no time for art. Like that's kind of the, we have an interesting relationship with art to the point that the art spaces were always like, they always felt kind of not for me almost, you know, because it was very much like traditional, typical, like high, highbrow art folks. And that just really wasn't, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of as a kid that my parents just, we just didn't have anything in that way. So if you, I don't know, I'm, that's interesting. I've never really thought about that before that how like we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of art around us growing oh, up. Oh yeah. We, we have it all around here, you know, and yeah. where I live in Southeast there's murals and then there's Chicano park. There's mm -hmm. so many murals, right. Um, you know, growing up, I would go to Tijuana to the Centro Cultural de Tijuana. I would check out art. My, my dad's a musician. My younger sister was in a ballet folklorico group. So art, colors, you know, every time they would perform on stage at the Centro Cultural, uh, El Secut in Tijuana, you know, the backdrop is just arts, like different landscapes, right? Different scenes of Mexico, you know? So I, I love art. I'm attracted to art. Art for me is therapeutic as well. In addition to literature, right? Yeah. I love literature and I felt like the classes at UCSD really saved me. I ended up minoring in ethnic studies because I loved the professors. I loved the material. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's like finding those things that are like our, our things we can grab onto. Right. And, and, yeah. and stay in, um, for me, like in going through grad school, I had my experience with this kind of, with this situation is much later in life. What for me, it was in grad school and like succeeding and doing all the right things, but yet still feeling this pull away from what was expected of me or what you should be doing and what is Mm -hmm. right. What is the kind of pathway you should go and, and finding those, like for me, it was the classroom, those, those moments where I could engage with students in a way that felt like familiar and natural and real. And we really got to, to do and say something like that was the, the whole thing that I could hold on to. And I, I I didn't go through the, the full program because that route was what felt right, you know? And it just, I didn't, I gradually felt less and less right in that space. So you, we, we all, I think everybody has something that they've like clung on to as their like support or the thing that really kept them going through that, that bad time, whenever, whenever it was in our life. Right. Um, so, yeah, oh, go ahead. And I, you know, and I also, um, I also want to mention, because you're talking about how, you know, undergrad and graduate school is like an opportunity mm-hmm. for you to kind of learn about yourself, you know, to do some reflecting, to, you know, kind of rethink. I feel like you're at the crossroads, right? When you start, you know, getting bombarded with so much information and some of it doesn't feel right. And you're like, am I doing the right thing? Am I not, you know? And you start learning more about yourself and then ultimately you make the best decision for yourself. But when I was in graduate school, that's when I really learned, like not learned, but that's when I really accepted like the fact that the Spanish that I knew was a working class Spanish mm-hmm. because I started reading, you know, I had to take seminars and, you know, that really just focused on um, reading novels from different parts of Latin America. And the vocabulary was very complicated for me. And I would get embarrassed because I would like look around and I would, you know, listen to my professor and I was like, wow professor's vocabulary is like way up there I've never heard my parents speak this way I've never heard my parents speak in this manner maybe you can relate in your English courses like even when I took my English lit classes I mean I took literature courses from like you know um you know anything around the the what is it called uh King Arthur and and the Holy Grail to medieval era medieval lit to 18th 19th century literature well I also did that in Spanish you know I took like a a, two seminars on Don Quixote and that was that (laughs) you know old I guess like 14th 15th century Castilian Spanish I was like whoa but then even like you know novels written like in the 60s 70s and 80s I was like oh I was like reading everything like rereading and I was like I remember I told my mom man this vocabulary is hard let me get myself a Spanish dictionary and and my mom's like I can't believe you don't understand this you're you know (laughs) we grew up speaking Spanish in this household and then I remember having a long conversation with my mom about class identity and how it's connected to language. I was like, mom, all I got from you were commands, you know, tiende la cama, dobla tu ropa, limpia tu cuarto, right? It's like all commands, right? Just do chores. Like, oh, that's all the Spanish I know. And obviously all the prayers at church. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's funny because I've had very similar experience. It was only in English, but it was in the the working class English was what, and, and specifically country English. I'll say because it's <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit like the South, but so where I'm from is like five thousand people, rural. I mean, we're attached to like a bigger town that's a little farther away, but it's a pretty rural area. And my dad's from like rural Tennessee, so like the 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 country way of speaking and thinking, and even like some of the mindset that you're in when you're talking like that is. It just wasn't represented. And I was okay through community college, through um, my, my transfer school for my BA. I was pretty good. But I, I gradually, at that point was when I was learning, I was shutting that language out and learning mm-hmm. the language I was supposed to learn. And it okay. was the, the way of writing and speaking in a place that's for the seminar room. And you have to have the big thought, the the fully formed thought that draws on theory. And you have to know how to pronounce all the words and you have to know how to, to make your point in these convoluted long sentences. And what you're reading is also just <laughs> not, it's just not connecting. Yeah. Like the words don't even mean anything, you know? And yeah. so I remember like, at a point where my papers, I, I told this in the last recording, but I used to have my dad read a lot of my papers. He loved it. He would love it. If I, I would, sometimes I'd even print them out and mail them, you know, cause that's how he wanted. And this, we had the internet, but he needed that print copy. Um, but there was a point when I was just like, no, he, 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 this one, I, like, I know he's reading them, but it's now at a point where I'm writing about things that are so esoteric or so like, so particular and in a way that is it just was it was so it felt so disconnected to him and I really like I look at that now and I think that was the that was a starting point for me in a way like a little chipping away at that feeling of like it and I don't look at it as do I belong here and then I chose to not belong there as like a failure I look at it as like I, the, what that world was asking from me was something I did not believe was authentically me. And I'm going to tell you, Zulama, as a people who write for a living, um, I'm still learning how to write for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I learned how to write a paper, an academic paper, a seminar paper, an article, what a conference presentation, but I, and I can slip right back into that, you know, but that's not, that's not me. And that's not who I want to, what I want to sound like and what I, what I know I sound like, and I'm figuring it out and I'm getting there, but it's not, it's an unlearning in the same way that I talked in the beginning about like unlearning how to work in cooperation with my colleagues that I value and respect. That's not, that's not something that grad school does for you. It's actually the opposite. It teaches you to not work with your colleagues because your work is the most important. And yeah. So I think a lot of that unlearning happened for me with, with writing and with English and thinking about my family and how they talk and how we talk and how I had to, it was very minor and people probably would never even have noticed, but I knew that I was like adjusting in a way, you know, you know what you're making me think about why uh, you were like one of the many reasons I enjoyed taking like, for instance, U.S. Um, U.S. Latino, Latina literature because like I I feel like we as 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 college students we are we are forced to kind of like emulate these like notions of standard English in our uh-huh. essays. Do you does you know does that make yeah. sense? Hundred percent. 
<laughs> you know, and so you lose a part of, like you said, your identity and stuff like that. But when I started reading like these texts, I was like, oh my gosh, I really, I felt like I was devouring the, the code switching, you know, cause it comes so naturally, yeah. you know, and like, you know, I just, I, that's why I loved it. And yeah. I was like, is it, does it have to be only in fiction where you can, as a writer or an author, break away from those standardized ah. forms of writing? That's the safe space where you can try it out, but you can't do that. But you can't do that when you go back to the Word document, you know, where you gotta you gotta write your paper. You gotta shut that out. All right, yeah. you're like, let me sound like Derrida or Nietzsche. Oh no, not that was the one. I I took. I remember I had the giant my first semester of grad school. My wife and I had just been married. The giant Norton anthology of theory. It's this like huge white oh. textbook, and. I had I, this like three page excerpt of Derrida, something, something. I don't even care. I don't even know. Like it literally could care less. The, uh, I was like, what is this? I, I read like, I told my, I sat there for like 20 minutes and I got up and I was like, Kristen, I don't even know what this says. Like, I, I swear to God, I don't even know what he's actually saying at all. <laughs> like, <I don't. laughs> and she read it. She's like, I don't know either. And I'm like, well, okay. I guess, I guess that's just where we are now. So, <laughs> so I, so basically I have to write a lot of sentences and make no sense to get published yeah. and to be considered theoretical. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, to the top of your field. No one can read you. That's the best. <laughs> Yeah. So as we look back and we've talked a lot about your journey and your experiences and so many of those things, I think our students will, will connect to and many of our other, our friends on campus, but what is something, what is a piece of advice that you'd give yourself as a student or any student who's starting college? What would you go back and, and tell yourself? Um, what would I go back and tell myself or what advice I would give to students? Network. Network, 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 because that is what's going to get you through this educational journey, especially if you're a first generation. Um, connect with people, you know, connect with your mm -hmm. professors. You're going to need their, their letters of recommendation. You're going to need their guidance. You're going to, you know, you're going to need their support. Um, so th that, that was, that's how I made it. That's how yeah. I made it. That's how I learned about navigating academia. I didn't even know that I had the chance to go to a UC school, right? I didn't know that because I had a terrible GPA at SDSU, right? But the fact that I went out of my way, right? I took a risk. I learned about this um, recruiter from UCSD that would visit the transfer center. Uh, I said, all right, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to go over there and ask questions. I'm just going to talk to her. And she, we turned, we ended up being friends. I still keep in contact with her. She's already retired. Yeah. I still keep yeah. in contact with her. Right. So, so I feel like, you know, it's so important to have mentors. It's so important yeah. to have mentors um, because I feel like they will guide you. They will help you create more opportunities for yourself. Right. Because Obviously, everybody goes to school or people like me, we go back to school because we're unhappy with our current employment status. 
right? Mm -hmm. We're unhappy with our financial situation, right? Um, you know, if we are born into a working class family, you know what they say, right? That the college seems to be the equalizer, right? Mm -hmm. You're not rich. You go to college, you get yourself a degree, then you move up on the, you know, the, the social ladder, right? Yeah. So how do we do that? We do that also by networking, by, you know, having mentors. Uh, I still keep in touch with my, um, you know, my mentors from City College, even now that I'm a professor, even when I was on Academic Senate, where I had to assume a leadership role, I always go back to uh, one of my mentors, uh, Professor Elva Salinas. She's the one that wrote the letter recommendation for me when I applied at Miracosta College. So, you know, my advice to students is that whenever you have an opportunity to talk to an instructor outside of class time, right, do it, do it, because they will remember you. They will remember you. And also, whenever you need uh, that letter of recommendation, you know, they, they will give it to you. More chances are they'll give it to you. You know, it's not that we don't like all of our students. It's just that we have so many of them that it's hard to keep track right? Yeah. Each semester, we have a new set of students, right? But I do remember the students that I had encounters with outside of the classroom, or even online, the students that visit me during Zoom sessions, I mm -hmm. remember them like, oh, because there's that human aspect of teaching. Yeah, right. Um, like, that is a, a tremendous piece of advice, because that's the thing that I, I tell students, that are going to transfer same thing. I'm like, you've got to hustle. And it's, it's a hustling in a way that other people don't have to hustle because you not only do you have to like have the pace of classes and you only have a short time to kind of really get settled. You've got to make those connections intentionally when you only have a short time, you can't just kind of let like the, the stereotypical picture we think of of a college student with four years and, oh, it's going to be this amazing place. I'm in all these organizations and activities. You don't necessarily always have that luxury at the two, the place you have transferred to when you only have two years. And that's, that is like, I would say one of the number one things I did. And I was lucky. I went to a really, really, really small school. I only had 800 students, my transfer school. It was itty bitty. There are, there are many wow. high schools bigger than that. Yeah. Wow. Illinois has a lot of these little itty bitty liberal arts colleges. And mine was like the country one and it was great. Um, but the, the, the time I spent connecting with people is what also showed me that I could do it too. Right. And it's like, so it's not only is it networking for your future, it's networking for yours, just for yourself to like, to get advice and to get feedback, to see people doing things that you might want to do. Like, I think the reason I want to become a professor is because of those things. Like that was one of the reasons I wanted to do what I did. Mm -hmm. And so like that networking piece is vital and it's hard, especially hard for transfer students. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up, I actually ended up, you know, at the community college because of that, you know, because um, I, when I was in the honors program, I was actually invited to work for the honors program in the honors office. Cause I was, I, I got to know my professors really good, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I think they liked me, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, when the position opened up in the honors office, I remember getting the call. Uh, that was Professor Kelly Mayhew. She called me and said, hey, 
there's a position open and we talked about it. The coordinators talked about it and your name came up and we would really love to offer you the position if you're interested. I was like, whoa, I wasn't, I didn't even get interviewed. <laughs> they just called me and said, do you want the job? And I was like, that's amazing. Yes, that was the best experience. Also, another thing, if you can get a job on campus, do it. Mm -hmm. Get a job on campus because that's when you start learning more about how the college operates. Yeah. But you're now working with professors and administrators and staff. And that's what opened up the world to the community college system for me. Um, that's how I started meeting other professors working as the honors liaison. And when I was in graduate school, obviously, the assumption is that you're going to be, you know, some published author working at a university and things like that. Like community college is never uh, was never an option. It was like never uh -huh. spoken about. It was in fact, it was discouraged in some ways. Yeah, yeah, because you're uh, committing academic suicide because you will not be publishing because you will be teaching so many courses. Right. Is that yeah, really what you want? Is that really what you should do? <laughs> oh, are you sure? And I'm like, uh, okay. Like, I, I mean, we can, there's a lot of problems with that, but I, I had the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, so um, I remember again, the job came knocking on my door. Um, uh, Professor Enrique Davalos, who I met, whom I met when I was in the honors program, he was a professor in the Chicano Chicana Studies Department at City College. And um, as soon as I went ABD, um, he got word and he was emailing me, hey, I need want somebody to teach uh, the, the, the Chicana class. It's like a course on Chicana feminism. Hey, I need someone to teach that class. Are you interested in? And I was like, already, you know, you know how you have to do your TA ship, you know, mm -hmm. you're working at the UC. I was like, oh, I don't have time this quarter. You know, but maybe when this quarter is over and, you know, that semester begins at City, I'll, I'll think of maybe. And that's how I ended up at the at the community college, just like that. It's not yeah. that I said I'm going to be a community college instructor, but that gave me the opportunity to see different worlds. I was at UC teaching for the Muir Writing Program. And then I also was teaching La Chicana at City College and the dynamic was completely different. Uh-huh. Oh my God. <laughs> Tell me about it. Same thing. Same thing here. I taught my first community college class at Moreno Valley College while I'm also teaching in the writing program at UCR. And I, I, I saw my home and that's the only way I can put it is I saw I literally felt like I walked in the door and it was totally first, everything I had learned did not necessarily apply in that oh, room. Yeah. Right? And the second, the second part is I felt like I was like, these are my people. And, it, yeah, and that's, yeah. that sounds like corny and cheesy, but like, those are my people. And I found them. And I was like this, once I, once I experienced that, it's like, you, I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't, everything, everything felt wrong. And that felt right. And that's the only way I know how to describe it. But that is, that's, I, when you said what you just said, it was like exactly the same. You know? Right, right. So, and then right away, I knew that the style of teaching that was very prominent at UCSD at the time did not work in that classroom. Ah. Like, okay, I can't spend all my time lecturing. This is, this, this doesn't work here. Right. Mm -hmm. So definitely I had a lot of moments where I had to reflect and learn and, develop my own teaching style 
because we emulate what we see, mm -hmm. right? So I went through the whole decolonial process. <laughs> yeah. Right? Decolonize myself, decolonize my teaching. You have stuff, to. You have right? to. I was like, that's not going to work here. But, but anyhow, it all happened just because of my network abilities, like here. And I was at City, and then someone from the English department found out that I was already an adjunct at City teaching, and then I got another gig there. You know, and, and then I ended up at, at, at Miracosta College, which is interesting is that my former honors professor, uh, Chicano Lip professor, was on the hiring committee. <laughs> so that your, and that that was a nice, a nice help, right? Yeah. <laughs> that uh, network yeah. paid off in the end. It's the networking It's the, you mm -hmm. know, it's the network. So that's my advice. And if I would tell myself something as like, good job, Sulema for always being charismatic and friendly and wanting to know. Uh, good job, Sulema, for being that relentless interrogator and asking questions, yeah. you know. Um, it's very important. We like it when our students ask us questions. I I love, I know, I, I love that. And I, I love that you called yourself the- Relentless the interrogator. Charismatic, relentless interrogator. And I think that is like a perfect, a perfect fitting description because you do have this, it's just going to be more love fest, but you do have this like, just an excited personality. I love other excited people, first of all, and I can always find the other excited person. And I think you and I are both the excited people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, thing, <laughs> things feel a little bit more intense to us than other people. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's cool. Yeah. So so answer from the heart here. Last question. What do you love about what you do? What do I love? What I love is um, I love it when students, they come back after they have moved on to bigger and better things, you know, that meaning like past my classes mm -hmm. and they just want to stay connected and they talk to me about what they're doing. Like when they give me updates on how much they progressed in their educational journey. Some even graduated and all like working. Like it just feels good that I was able to be a part of their journey. It feels good. Like, yes, you know, you got to where you want to be. But also what I love from what I do is that I, I really love hearing students tell me that something like maybe a reading that we did in class like it really captured their attention that they even had to have a conversation with a parent or a sibling or a friend about it because it just makes me feel like wow I do you know in some way have an impact on the lives of students outside of the classroom you know mm -hmm. Uh, they'll come back and say, oh, profe, I, you know, uh, I was thinking about, you know, we were talking about fast fashion and I had to tell my friend about it. And I even recommended the documentary, the true cost to them, you know, or, mm -hmm. oh, I love Parable of the Sower so much that, you know, they'll come back and say, I read Parable of the Talents, which is yeah. the sequel. I was like, you did <laughs> <laughs> on your own it wasn't an assignment it wasn't required for class right mm -hmm. that yeah, I know that's <laughs> I love that I love that but that, that's like the 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 things when we know I mean we have we know we have that impact but what I think is cool is when that stuff we're doing in class like you're talking about crosses over into their free time because yeah. that's that mo that's that spark moment we were talking about in the beginning, because all of a sudden now it's like, I'm doing this because I want to do it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm talking about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm reading this because I want to, Absolutely. not because, not because I was told to. And like, the more we can facilitate that shift and not, I mean, I, I like the ability to let them have that shift when in ways that they want, right. Not even just my own, like if my content does, like I had a, I had a student who loves Colson Whitehead now after reading the underground railroad and he, and another one, like I have people always like go to the library and check out his other novels. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I love that. But I want, I also want them to have that shift in anything when they, they, when they have that shift, just about school in general now that yeah. it's like, Oh, like now it's like, now it's for them. It's for, yeah. it's like an internal thing that you feel. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I feel so happy when they talk to me about their enthusiasm for reading in general. Like mm -hmm. I have students that will say like, I had to buy the sequel, right? Or I have students that tell me that they loved Reina Grande's A Dream Called Home, that they had to buy the Spanish version for their moms or for a significant other or for a sibling, you know? Mm -hmm. So Again, that means a lot to me because we're living in a world and this is what, you know, Bell Hooks talks about is like, are we creating a culture where reading is no longer cool, like reading books, you know? So I really like that aspect too, is like when you can actually bring back the joy in reading and that's actually what the essay is called, <laughs> yeah. the joy of reading, right? It's like, wow, you can bring it back right because we're in a we're living during an age where you know social media just like dominates the lives of our students so if you can get them to read and feel enthusiastic about reading that's when I know that I've had an impact and that makes me really happy yeah, yeah. When, well Zulema I just want to thank you for being here today and once again just an amazing amazing experience just talking to you about this because so not only did I see connections between what you've talked about in your life and other people I've talked to for this very, very small little experiment that I'm doing, but I know I see so many of my students in your experience. I know we have so many of our students that have exactly what you've are, what you experience are sitting in our classes right now. And it, I do what I know. I know that many of us do what we do because we do it. It's the right thing. We believe in it. It's what we care about. But when you see a person who I see as a mentor, a, a figure that I respect on campus, a person I've learned from, a, a valued colleague, when I see you benefiting from the kinds of practices that you're teaching us how to do and that we're talking about doing in our classes, it, it makes it real. It makes it a lot. We know our students benefit from it, but when you know that that was what got you through things. That was what made you feel connected to education. I I feel a stronger like determination, I guess, to do that more. So I really appreciate again your kind words. You're not gonna make me cry at the end. Uh, but but you know again likewise I admire your teaching pedagogy and I really admire you making time to listen to our journeys, right? To listen to stories about our journeys. And I I really hope that you you know at some point we're we're able to like you know get together and talk about the different stories and share those similarities that you that you see um mm -hmm. but at the same time I I feel I feel happy and blessed to have had this opportunity to talk to you especially like on a Tuesday 
because it was a, a, a very nice break from the routine, mm. you know, um, and this is part of humanizing, you know, the online experience, I would say, right, or humanizing uh, education, right, um, is that we get to talk about our, our, our emotions, and for me, express my emotions, I'm a very emotional person, you know, right, <laughs> So, you know, and, and I like, and I appreciate that. And I hope that, you know, your students appreciate that too, that, you know, I'm not just like a robot that goes in front of the classroom or that is recording a video. Like I'm a human being. Um, I have my own experiences and sometimes I feel happy. Sometimes I feel sad. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the educational journey that I mentioned at the beginning, it's a windy road, like a serpiente, right? And, 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 and it's okay. And, mm -hmm. and I want to honor my, my journey and my story. And I hope that, you know, others feel empowered by listening to my story to take risks, to take risks, uh, to not, you know, feel, uh, fear to not feel intimidated, right? To just go for it, you know, like we say in Spanish, echale ganas or ponte las pilas. And ponte las, las pilas just means like, you know, if you're like contemplating doing something, like put on those batteries and just do it, right? Do what you need to do, develop that strategy, uh, talk to other people, never take no for an answer, right? Yeah. And one thing I do want to say is that what I appreciate about technology, since we were talking about online learning, is that Zoom has also been like this virtual space where I can connect with colleagues um, and students at different times throughout the week. That's also, that's a big plus for me. Wow. That's a big plus for me. I have met with students as early as eight o'clock in the morning till 6 p.m. in the evening. Mm -hmm. And you we know. can do that through this method, right? Yes, like it, it, it helps us reach each other better. Yes. Yeah. And I've actually um, had more opportunities to talk to students using this format rather than just holding regular office hours on campus, even though we yeah. want to go back to campus. But I was like, Zoom student hours have been great for me. It's they, I think it's less intimidating. It's, yeah. it's less intimidating for the student to log in versus, I, I mean, I know for a fact, I paced the hallway outside, just outside of the professor's door. And I was like, are they in there? Is there another student in there? Should I knock? Should I not knock? Like what's yeah. appropriate? And like all that anxiety can go away when you just log into a Zoom or you, you can set up a point, like appointment times. I have yeah. student appointments yeah. and they can just, they choose it and that's theirs, you know? Yeah. 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 So All well, right. anyhow, well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. For thank inviting you. Me. And you are Mira Costa. This is, <laughs> you are, it's corny, it's cheesy, but you are. And that's what we, we need. We to, are, we are. You're we so, are. you're so Mira Costa. Mira Costa needs to be more you. <laughs> no. We're all, you know, we all, as Adrian Marie Brown says, right. We all um, contribute. We all contribute. Even if we're we're doing work and you know doing different layers of the work, right? But we all contribute in some way. So we todos somos Miracosta. <laughs> all right, thank you so much, Sulava. Have a You're good welcome. one.